So I heard a story about these two guys, uh, Joe and Tom, who were lifelong friends. And part of what made them such good friends is they had the same passions. They shared the same interests and, and passions. They both loved God. They both loved their families very much. But in particular, they both loved baseball. They ate, drank, and slept baseball. They were just fanatics. In fact, they got off their bucket list a visit to every major league park in America. They, are, they, they wiped that off their bucket list. They loved baseball so much that they even wondered as they got older if heaven would be fun if there wasn't baseball. <clears throat> and so they, they made a pact with each other that whoever died first would try to get a message back to the other to let them know if indeed there was baseball in heaven or, or not. Well, as it turns out, uh, Tom was the one to pass first and Joe grieved his friend. But several weeks later, Joe was awakened in the middle of the night by a familiar voice. Joe, Joe, I've got good news and bad news. Tom, is that really you? What's the good news? Well, the good news is there's baseball in heaven and it's great baseball, good teams, exciting games, great competition. Well, what's the bad news? You're scheduled to pitch next Tuesday. <laughs> well, we are in the final series of, or final week, I should say, of our series, Just a Mist. And that title really is <clears throat> a metaphor for the brevity of life. And that's what we've been talking about for the past several weeks. And listen, I, I know, and I knew going into this series, that doing a series of teachings on the, on the brevity of life and the reality of death has the potential to be a little morbid. And, and I didn't want it to be morbid, but I do want it to be sobering. And I hope that it has been sobering for, for you because the reality is that one day, in the not so distant future, relatively speaking, a tombstone is gonna have your name on it. And on that tombstone, there's gonna be three things, at least three things. There's gonna be a date that marks the day when you came into this world and you had little to say about that day. On the other side, there's gonna be a, a date that marks the day that you passed from this world, and you really have little to say about that day as well, and you don't know when it will be. But in the middle, there will be a dash, and you get a lot to say. You have a lot to say about that dash. But the reality is, the Bible also tells us, and we know it from experience, that for all of us, the dash will be short. And I don't want us dashing through life, never reflecting on the shortness of our dash. Maybe that's why the Bible often compares our life to a race, because in a race you have a definite, or a definite beginning and a definite finish. And a definite finish awaits all of us. I mean, let's just be honest. Aging is just a nice way of saying dying. And so every metaphor in the Bible about lifespan emphasizes brevity. You are like dust, vapor, shadow, grass, mist. And you need to reflect on that with intention. And so far in this series, we've looked at what Moses has to say. We've looked at what Jesus has to say. We've looked at what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say. We looked at what Solomon, I forgot about him, uh, has to say. And today we're going to close out our series this week by looking at what the Apostle Paul has to say. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, he writes this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, uses, Paul uses there one of two Greek words for time. That's why some of you may have Bible translations that say, make the most of your time, or make the best use of your time, or redeem the time. Because time is very important in the Bible. Because we don't have much of it. And so what Paul is saying, just kind of trying to boil it down to one sentence, and I would think the, the, proverb, the, the writer of Proverbs would say this as well, but what Paul would probably say is, don't use time like a fool. Don't use time like a fool, because time is just too precious to be handled foolishly. Because here's the thing about time, you can't make more of it. You can make more money, but you can't make more Time And so you need to make the most of it. It's simply just unwise to give major amounts of our time to minor endeavors. And yet fools do this all the time. The word fool you find throughout the Bible. And, and really, you know, if we're kind of nailing a lot of these things down, we, we were born with a condition called congenital foolishness. That's, that's kind of how we were born, right? The Bible calls it our sin nature. But when we came to Christ, when we come into a relationship with Christ, we received the spirit of wisdom. And so we have this foolishness that's part of our nature, but then we, have, we, we are introduced to Jesus Christ and we come to know him and we are, we are given this spirit of wisdom. Christ is wisdom. And so the reality is we don't have to live like fools anymore. So what's the chief way in which fools live? How do we get out of that mode of living and thinking? Well, maybe you've heard the verse in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, the psalmist here, I don't think is really talking about an atheist here. What I think he's talking about is the person who lives life as if God doesn't really matter. The person who functions in life as if it doesn't really matter if or if there isn't a God. The person who thinks and acts without really factoring God into the equation. That's why in Luke chapter 12, the story of the rich man that we looked at a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned briefly last week, the guy has this great year of business and so he tears down his barns and he builds bigger barns and he says, I'm going to fill up my bigger barns with so much stuff that I can just spend the rest, uh, the, the rest of my years just having one big long party. But that night, he dies and God says to him, you fool. Now, Jesus doesn't say that this guy was unethical. He doesn't say that he was immoral, but he lived his life as a functioning atheist. And God calls him a fool because he never thought about God. And so scripture says, because your dash is so short, because time is so precious, and because you have now this spirit of wisdom, don't use time like a fool. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Another version says, while you are here on earth, you should live with respect for God. In other words, you should be thinking, how does God want me to use my time? And I hope that's what this series has inspired us to do. In fact, one of the best pieces of, advice, or pieces of uh, feedback I got 
uh, from this series. You know, good good feedback. Uh, somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago after one of the the lessons, and they said, you know, I come to church, and and oftentimes I'm I'm tired and I, and I'm sleepy, and um, but these sermons on the brevity of life have have really sparked my interest and inspired me, and now I'm not going to fall asleep during your sermons. I thought, how oh, nice. That's very nice of you. Very kind of you. But um, hopefully. There's more wins than that, but at least that's, that's a win in and of itself. But the, the wise person is, is seeking the will of God all the time. That's what it means to be wise, that we're just, we're seeking to open our minds up to what is the will of God? Where is he leading me? Where is he guiding me? Your life is on loan from God. So don't just spend it, invest it. Because the one who gave you the loan wants a return. Authors Rick Rousseau and Eric Swanson wrote a book called Living Life on Loan. And in the book, Eric tells a story about how he, when he was a young boy, his dad worked a job where he had access to a lot of cardboard boxes and he would often bring them home to Eric for him to play with. And Eric, one of the things that he often did was build houses out of it. So he'd, he'd build the houses, but they also had a barrel out back where they burned all the cardboard boxes. And so after Eric was done, he'd just take the cardboard box out, you know, the house, whatever it was that he had built out of it, and he would go and burn it in, in the barrel out back. Well, one day, Eric was on his front porch, and he was playing with this cardboard box that his dad had brought home, this large cardboard box. And Diane, a little girl from across the street, came over, and she said, what are you doing, Eric? And he said, well, I'm making a house out of this box. And she said, oh, well, hold on just a second. I'll be right back. And so she runs back to her house and she comes back with scissors and crayons and thread and fabric. And she starts making little curtains for the house. And she uh, starts painting the doors and she makes little shingles to put on the roof. And, and, and so they're playing with the house. And when they're all through, Eric says, you know, that's cool when they're you know, done making it up. And again, they, they play with the house for a little while. And then when they're done, Eric just kind of picks up the box takes it to the backyard, puts it in the barrel, and begins to burn it, sets it on fire. And Diane just starts bawling. And Eric writes in the book, perhaps she would not have invested so much time if she had known it was only going to burn. You see, Jesus is not just offering us life after death. He's offering us life here and now instead of death. He's offering a life that really matters and really counts. I think sometimes we, we make the gospel weaker than it really is because the gospel is bigger than just, just the simple question, well, if I die tonight, do I know where I'm going? Do I, do I know that I would go to heaven or not? It's bigger than that. Now, it certainly answers that question. The Bible answers that question, but it also answers this question. And if you wake up in the morning, do you have a reason to get out of bed? If you live 50 more years, do you have a purpose that will carry you the distance? Because you weren't just saved from something. You were saved for something. So live wisely. Time is a limited resource. Don't waste it making big deals out of little deals. And Paul gives us, I think, a couple of pieces of, of great advice here in, in time management. Here's the first. He says, if you want to live wisely, then sense God moving. If you want to live wisely, then sense what God is doing. Sense God moving in your life and in the world around you. Because it doesn't really matter if you hit your target, if you hit your target, right? If you miss what God is up to. 
So look again at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 from the New Living Translation. Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, one of the things that, that I was taught when I was growing up, not necessarily like overtly, but just through the, through the teachings that I learned as a little boy growing up in the church, is that as the church, we, we kind of need to look back at the first century church and, and kind of reproduce that church. And I get the idea, but I don't necessarily think that's exactly a wise strategy because we don't live in the first century, right? We live in the 21st century, and in the first century churches were, were not uniform and, and, and monolithic, nor, nor should we necessarily be. They each adapted to their particular culture. Now, we take principles from those early churches, and certainly we don't change the Word of God, but we can take principles from those early churches, and, and they certainly apply to our, our day and our time. But we want to be a church that reaches into our culture. And the things that are going on in, in, our, in our world and in our, in our communities. We want to be a church that's fruitful in the 21st century. Because just as important as looking back is looking ahead and asking, where is God taking the world? What, what is God moving history toward? Because when the kingdom comes and his glory fills the earth, I see a world with no more racism, no more sexism, no more disease, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more hurting. And God is moving the world toward that end. So it seems to me what we ought to be asking is how can we join him in what he's doing? How can we find where God is moving and partner with him instead of saying, hey, God, bless what I'm doing. We should be saying, God, help us to do what you are blessing. And we know what he's doing because Paul, in one of his sermons in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Another version says he decided their times. Why? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so the Bible says that what God is doing is putting people in places and times so that they can find him. And we want to join God in this. That's our call. That's our mission. That's our purpose. But here's the problem. It's sometimes hard to see what God is doing because as Paul said, <clears throat> the days are so evil. And the temptation is to live cautiously and, and hide behind our walls and our houses and our church buildings so that we don't get hurt and we live protected lives, that we don't really put our necks out there. Here's the problem with that. When God moves, he will almost always move you out of your comfort zone. Because Jesus did not promise that if we follow him, we will get a safe life, a pain-free life, a life with no risk, a life with no sacrifice, because the goal is not to avoid a wounded life. The goal is to avoid a wasted life. I read a story about a Dutch pastor during World War II. And it, obviously he knew what was going on in that part of the world at the time because he saw a lot of the Jewish people in his community were just up and, and disappearing and not coming back. And so he and some other Christians began to hide Jews, Jewish people in their homes to protect them. And one night, they heard the sound of soldiers knocking on their door, and they had been found out. And his whole family was arrested, and they were crammed into these crowded 
cattle cars to be taken to a camp, which was really just an extermination camp. And all night they prayed and they worried. And suddenly the train stopped and, and lights were flashing and people were barking and shouting and, and they were herded out to what they assumed was about to be their death. Only they discovered they weren't in Germany, they were in Switzerland. Some brave person had maneuvered the track switch and that train had gone to a destination that it was not intended to go, at least not by the people who had put them on those cars. And now they were free. It's a pretty amazing story. And we celebrate the miracle. But let me ask you, suppose that story ended with them going to those concentration camps and being murdered for their good deed. Would you still like the story? Wouldn't it still be a story, a good story of someone who stood against evil, who stood for God? A story of someone willing to be a light in a dark world at a great price, a great personal price to them? I mean, it'd still be an incredible story, right? Because they partnered with what God was doing. And I promise you, in a dark world, God is not going to waste a light, no matter how brief or long it burns. And so since those moves of God and join him, but if we're gonna do that, secondly, that means learning to seize God moments. Learning to seize God moments. Now, I don't like to necessarily just throw Greek words out and, unless I, I see the purpose in it and, and see that it's necessary. After all, you don't have to know Greek to go to heaven, right? You won't be able to talk to anybody there because everyone will be speaking Greek, but you don't have to know Greek uh, to, to go to, to heaven. But I mentioned earlier that when Paul uses that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, that the, 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 he uses the Greek word for time there is the word that he uses. Actually, the Greeks had two word, uh, two Greek words for the word for time. The first is the word chronos, and it basically means sequential time. It's where we get our word uh, chronology. The second word, though, was the word kairos, and it means the opportune time. We use that word when we say things like, well, I, I just had, it was, it was time for me to do something, right? It was time for me to stand up and, and say something. It means the, the moment, the event where something must be done. And that's the word that Paul uses. He's saying that in, in the passing of Kronos time, there are these moments that are just covered in the purposes of God. Make the most of those moments. In a dark world, they need to be grabbed. They need to be seized because they're not just coincidences. They are providences. Paul uses the same word in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, when he says, Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. You see, fools can tell time. Even fools can tell time. But they can't discern moments. Because God moments are rarely scheduled, right? I mean, you're, you're not gonna get a, a, an email or a text from heaven saying, okay, just to let you know, between four and 4.30 on Tuesday afternoon, you know, I, you're gonna have this appointment, you're gonna have this interruption, right? I, I've scheduled a God moment on your calendar, so just make sure you're alert. No, you have to live every day alert. You have to be hospitable to, to the interruptions and the things that you didn't plan and the surprises because the creator is moving other people's stories into position to intersect your story. 
so that you can witness about his story. And he's doing this all the time. And so instead of just dashing through life, learn to recognize the moments that can be redeemed for the purposes of God. Search every moment for its real worth. I mentioned earlier the book, Living a Life on Loan. Um, and I mentioned Eric, one, one of the authors, Eric, and then the other was a guy named Rick, Rick Russaw. And he talks about how he was in a young, <clears throat> how he was a young preacher when he was a young preacher. Can't get that out. That one of the best pieces of advice he got was from an older preacher. They were out at lunch, and the older preacher said to Rick, he asked him, "Well, Rick, what are your dreams? You know, what are what are some goals and dreams that you have?" And 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 Rick kind of laid those out. You know, he said, I, "I dream about this. I dream about that. And you know, someday this, someday that." And kind of just explained to him some of the dreams that he had. And and the old preacher said, "Rick, that's all good. Hold hold on to your dreams. Those are all good dreams." But then he said this great piece of advice. But don't forget to be of value where you are. Don't worry about being of value where you aren't yet. I love that. Don't forget to be of value where you are. Don't worry about being of value where you aren't yet. You see, what we've been talking about for these last four or five weeks makes no sense to the world. You live this way and the world will call you a fool. But God says it's not worth your time. it's, It's foolish. It's not wise to spend all your time trying to win the wrong race. And so don't lose most chasing more. Don't lose most chasing more. The real fool is the one who spends all his time for no bigger reason than to have a barn that's full. Your life is on loan from God. Your dash is short. And surely you and I are here for a bigger purpose than to see who has the biggest will in the cemetery. God is leading you to run a better race. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter if your dash is 20 years or 40 or 60 or 80, it's still a very short dash compared to eternity. And we're not going to remember the duration of your life. But we will remember the donation of your life. So don't waste your time chasing more. Make the most of it. Do you remember the horrible shooting tragedy that took place on the campus of Virginia Tech University uh, several years ago? I'm sure many of you remember that horrific event. Sad, 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 sad event. Well, weeks after that, several weeks after that, there was a a memorial, an intentionally Christian service on that campus, and Christian author Philip Yancey was asked to speak. Uh, Ironically, just a couple months earlier, he he himself had had a near-death experience, and he referenced it to make a point that day that was super powerful, and I think is still just as powerful for us today. So I just want to read you what he read, and and then we'll kind of close up our time uh, together today. Here's what, he, here's what he wrote or said. He said, Reality came starkly home to me nine weeks ago today when I was driving on a winding road in Colorado. Suddenly I missed a curve and the road was icy and my Ford Explorer slipped off the pavement and started tumbling down the side of an embankment. 
An ambulance appeared sometime after that, and I spent the next seven hours strapped to a bodyboard with duct tape across my head to keep it from moving. A CAT scan showed that a vertebrae high on my neck had been shattered, and sharp bone fragments were poking out next to a major artery. The hospital had a jet fly to me to Denver for emergency surgery. I had one arm free with a cell phone and a little battery time. And apparently from other stories, the doctor had told him that he needed to call those that were dear to him because he didn't know how much time he had left. Or he, the doctor didn't know how much time he had left. And so uh, Yancey continues, I spent those tense hours calling people close to me, knowing that it might be the last time I ever hear their voices. It was an odd sensation to lie there helpless, aware that though I was fully conscious, at any moment I could die. Samuel Johnson once said, a man, when a man is about to be hanged, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. <clears throat> well, when you're strapped to a bodyboard after a serious accident, it concentrates the mind wonderfully. I realized how much my life focused on trivial things. During those seven hours, I didn't think about how many books I had sold or what kind of car I drove. It was being towed to a junkyard anyway. All that mattered boiled down to four questions. Whom do I love? Whom will I miss? What have I done with my life? And am I ready for what's next? And so the Bible asks the question, what is your life? And it answers, you are just a mist. And it's time that we wise up and start living in light of that reality.